Well, howdy, everybody. It's good to be back. And hopefully you feel the same way I do. Today we are joined by Scott Ellison, who is a blues rock guitar player from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Scott has shared the stage with many legends, some of which you'll get to find out about in the interview. It was great to hear from Scott and to catch up with him. And I hope you enjoy my interview with Scott Ellison here on LV's Music Corner. Scott Ellison, blues guitar player from Tulsa, Oklahoma, made several great recordings over the years and he joins me this morning on LV's Music Corner. Scott, how are you, sir? Hey, doing great, Logan. How you doing, buddy? Good morning to you. I am well. I am well. Scott, let's talk a little bit about growing up. Uh, were you a Tulsa native your whole life? Yes, I was born and raised here. Uh, born in St. John's Hospital, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was born and raised here and uh, went to school all the way from uh, kindergarten through high school and um, went to college in Columbia, Missouri for four years and then uh, went total professional on music. I played in bands all the way through. I started playing the bands when I was like 11, actually 10, I'm sorry, 10, 10 years old. And then, um, but played all through school and then through college I played, you know, had had the, you know, a couple of different lineups, uh, quite a few actually in college and would kept my music, uh, kept, kept it going as far as keeping my um, facility together, playing the bands I had, I was going to college. And so I was really, uh, you know, I had to get that degree. So I was trying to, you know, working hard on that, but I, you know, played it, but, you know, played at nights and it was, you know, you're young there, so you're indestructible. So, you know, and I look back on that, go, how did I ever do that? But, and then, so the last day of college, uh, when I graduated the next day, I was on the road. So that's, uh, that's how it happened. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. um, what were some of your first musical experiences as a child? Well, great question. I, um, uh, I'm 66. Got to say that's hard to wrap my arms around that. Logan, those, those, that, those two numbers are, are tough on me, but anyway, I grew up, uh, you know, when, the, uh, I saw the uh, stones and Beatles on this Oldman show and, and, uh, 1964 february 9th 1964 it was a sunday night and i never really was into music that much until i saw uh the beatles play and saw the stones and um it just completely it changed everybody that age all my friends all of us the next day at school it was just like that's all you talked about when you saw the beatles and then the stones came on it's funny uh you know being a blues guy being a, a rhythm and blues player uh you know, I, I love the Beatles, and uh, I saw them. I go, my God, man, it just blew me away. And then when I saw the Stones, I said, you know, I remember at the time seeing that guy. I said, for some reason, I remember thinking to myself, I got to do this, and that looks more attainable <laughs> for whatever reason. So, yeah, I, it was great. It was a great electrifying moment. I, I know a lot of uh, people don't get to experience that, that kind of deal. It was just kind of a timepiece thing. I know when, you know, I'm sure Michael Jackson hit, 
in the eighties, there's kids that felt the same way. It's all different. You know, everything happens in different, you know, situations, different generations, but for, for being a baby boomer, that was quite electrifying to see that at 10 years old. I never seen anything like it. None of us had. So it was really pretty electrifying and got most people that play music. Well, everybody I know that plays music that's close to my age saw that. So it's kind of a, kind of a, uh, special spiritual moment for all of us so it's kind of fun to look back on it exactly so what were some of these these first records and radio stations and things of that nature you were listening to well in tulsa i remember kakc uh, that's way before your time um they i listened to music listen they played the top 40 radio and uh, i remember i would uh i had a you know little radio in my room and I could, I could catch, uh, stations from Texas. I remember I'd get some stations. I'd find a blue station coming in. And so I was interested, you know, of course the popular music of the time, but I'll get exposed to a lot of stuff at a young age that, that, you know, um, I found a, uh, some station I got, I don't know how I got it it's from Arkansas. I think I can't, I'm probably blank on the stations the famous station, but they were playing like muddy waters and, Alan Wolf and all that stuff, and I was just going, my God, that's it just it just electrified me. So I was getting the Beatle thing, getting the Stones, getting all the British Invasion stuff, but I was also getting Americanized with all the stuff we had in our backyard that I'd never been exposed to before, you know, for music, because I was, you know, like uh, at ten years old, you're not going to be hearing Alan Wolf at the dinner table, or you know, your parents are probably most likely going to be playing Muddy Waters and Alan Wolf during that period of time, right? So. It was just, it was like discovering water for me. I, I, when I got that part of the music from that station and heard this other stuff like, you know, BB King and Buddy Guy and all that stuff, I was just going, this, it just, I was immediately drawn to it. It was like I, uh, it just pulled me in like a magnet, you know, so that's how that happened. Right. So you went to Columbia, Missouri for right. university. Four years. At- Yes, Columbia College for four years, got a degree in psychology, which really, uh, I knew I would never go into that. I just, you know, it was just seemed like, uh, you know, my parents, I promised I'd get a degree. So that was something interesting. So actually, by proxy, it's helped me survive in the music business, being, you know, knowing a lot about that and uh, getting a degree in psychology. I'm not any expert on it by any stretch, but I think it's really helped me looking back on things and even things going on now, you know, past and present and the future and in real time. Now it's really come in handy to, uh, you know, help me deal with the perils of the music business up and down, you know, just the, the business of music, the, the music to me is the fun thing. I mean, if it, I, I got the little kid in me about it, I love playing. I love writing songs, totally addicted to songwriting, totally addicted to playing guitar. And, uh, you know, just love it, immersed in it 24 hours a day. So, um, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I, I really feel blessed. I love something that much, you know. Mm-hmm. So you graduated college, and you're you're still a guitar player at this point. Was guitar the, the first instrument you picked up, or were you like a piano yeah, player you know, and then I, moved yeah, over? Was- Right. Good question. I yeah, I started playing guitar the next day after I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Okay. I'm dating myself here, but uh, but that's that's the that's the way it went down. And it, you know, it's funny. Like I said earlier, that it, it was a period where it was so electrifying, Logan, that 
that's all you talked about the next day. I've never had anything other than the Kennedy assassination, which I was, let's see, that was in 60, uh, November 22nd, 1963. So I was, uh, I was uh, 10 or 11 or whatever. So that was a big shock. I remember the, the big, uh, as far as two major things, that one was the, the sad, uh, sad, uh, just worldwide. I just remember the grief from all that, from that thing as a young man. And then, and then on the other hand, it seemed like when the Beatles hit, the stones came and all that the music thing started happening. Uh, it kind of pulled everybody together, kind of pulled us out of, uh, I, I looking back on it, it kind of pulled everybody out of the funk from the assassination with the music going, you know, that's what I remember. Cause I was young, I was a kid, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, very electrifying for everybody. Um, but the, you know, getting back to the degree, I, I, uh, I'm sure glad I have it. And I promised my folks I'd do it. And then, you know, made good on my promise and out point, I wanted to be, you know, professional music. So I went completely professional right after that. So, Exactly. Been a journey. Yeah, been a journey, you know. So after college, you're going out on tour. Who are some of these people that you begin touring with at this point? Well, here's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, it, I was, uh, I got, I graduated, and then I got wind of an audition in Nashville. This buddy of mine and I, me going to Nashville at that that time was like, uh, you know. Uh, it's so it was so completely not what I would ever think about doing because I wouldn't you know it was really at that time it was really pretty straight ahead country it was like two different you know I mean worlds from that world to what I do I mean I didn't really know anything about it except I you know my early days I loved Buck Owens I loved Merle Haggard and loved George Jones and all the great country guys from that period I mean to get the really good ones you know and uh you know, Conway Twitty was in there too, and I wasn't a big country fan. But anyway, I got an audition with Conway Twitty's daughter, and uh, got the gig. And uh, I didn't think I played that good on the audition, so I didn't. I got a call. I, I don't think I was their first choice. Who's got the call? Like a month later, and they wanted to know if I want to do a U.S. tour. So I did that, and then we ended up going to Canada. So that really was a pretty. She was on MCA. That was a pretty big gig uh, for me that young. I was 22. And really green, and I was playing with a bunch of older guys that were like 10, 12 years older than I am. So that got that broke me into the road thing right there. That was my uh, that was my uh, degree on the road, so to say, so to speak, as far as playing music on the road professionally with the recording artists. So it was a good way to start. I mean, it was like it didn't start, you know, usually. You play in a bar in your hometown, and that's because I ended up after that was over. Then that's what I did. Went back to Tulsa and played from '77 through '83, and then moved out to LA in '83. But that was my first one, man, and and then uh, that got it going, you know. So, and I knew the minute the first day I was on that, the first rehearsal, I go, oh, this, I've made such a right decision. This, you know, I'm so glad I'm doing this. So mm -hmm. that's how that goes, you know. And you really appreciate it more when you're older because you take it for granted when you're younger. Talk a little bit about touring and working with Clarence Gate Mouth Brown. Well, that was great. That was great. Uh, oh, man, that was fun. I was uh, 24, I think, at the time, 25. And my friend David Tanner, who was just a killer keyboard player, we grew up together. He passed away in 96. He, could, he was the best stride piano player I've ever heard. And he had worked with Gate Mouth Brown on some tours. And so then he left that deal. And 
at the time, uh, he came back, he was in Tulsa, and his dad, John Tanner, a very good friend, um, uh, to John's great. And uh, anyway, father and son got a club, and I think there's somebody else who's in, in partnership with him, but it's the old Carlos Cadillac, which became the Bourbon Street on 15th, right? You know where that is, right? Mm -hmm. He's became the Bourbon Street. I don't know what it's called now. It's changed hands a few times, but that, that club, the way this went down was, uh, David booked, um, Gatemouth Brown into Carlos Cadillac. So the way I got that gig is just like stuff doesn't happen like this anymore, but it, well, it does actually, it can still happen. Probably not as much as it did back then, but I went, to, I always wanted to meet him. I was a big fan. And, uh, I told David before, you know, before he came, Came in town. I said, "Man, I'm gonna come early. I want to meet him." You know, is it cool? He said, oh, "Yeah, yeah, come back." So anyway, went back to him to start the conversation with, with him. And you know, he's a grumpy old dude, and he, and uh, you know, he he uh, he's such a genuine guy. But he gets sometimes, you know, he you know he kind of gets grumpy. And uh, anyway, I went back and I introduced myself and and uh, mentioned some of the tunes I had of his got records. He go, oh, "Yeah, you got those, huh?" And I go, "Yeah." So we'll sit down, young man, uh, have a seat. So he said, pull up your stuff, young man. You know, so we're talking and uh, started talking about music. And he said, uh, and I picked up a guitar. I was sitting there. I said, this is great. And, and uh, he loved it. He said, oh, yeah, cool. You, you, he said, oh, you play well or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And uh, I think he said, yeah, you get around a guitar okay or something like that, you know. And so I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is too cool. So anyway, he said, why don't you go out with my band and open the show? And I would just go out and do, do a tune and they'll bring me on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was about as cool as it gets. So I did, a, you know, I, I did a Bobby Bland song further on up the road and, and then they brought him on. And then he comes up on stage and I started to unplug. He said, no, 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 stay up here. Stay up here. Just play with us. So after the gig was over, he, uh, the road manager came and said, yeah, he wants you to be at the bus at uh, eight o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow morning, we're going to go out for three weeks and he wants you. And, uh, I didn't make a lot of money cause he had a pretty big band, but I, you know, it was like just the, the, the chance of playing big places and touring with him for three weeks. It was great. So that's how that happened. But I got the gig meeting him and then he heard me play a little bit. Then he, after I opened the show for him, then I was in the band all of a sudden for three weeks. So. And he didn't need me at all because he didn't need a rhythm guitar player. He plays great himself. And he, you know, but he, he liked the way I played guitar and I didn't step on his toes. So he said, yeah, just play rhythm guitar on this tour and I can, it really helped me out or something along that line. So that's how that happened. You know, it was just a gift, a gift for sure. You know, absolutely. And that's a pretty cool experience too. Yeah. Oh man. I still think about it. You know, I still think about like, being on stage with him and I'm, I'm used to playing Logan. I was just playing beer joints to 10 to 12 to 20 people in them. Right. Maybe on the weekends, 40 or 50. Right. But I've never also done. I'm playing in these big places and a couple festivals. And I remember we played the Gore theater and I was sitting there. I was so nervous. I was back there. I was just about to puke man. I was really scared. And he come and he walked by me and started laughing. He goes, you're not nervous. Are you? <laughs> it's like, they started laughing, you know, kind of giving me a hard time. It kind of shook me out of it, you know. It's like he knew how to. He knew what he was doing, you know. He really did. And I watched him the way he controlled a crowd, and uh, it was real cool. So I learned a lot on that. It was a really good learning experience. Probably my best, maybe. You've mentioned L.A. What was it that made you say I'm going to go to L.A.? 
Well, great question. That's a great question. You guys have some really good questions. I want to commend you on that, man. That's a great question. I What made me want to go to L.A. was, this is real close to my heart. It's kind of emotional because Jamie Oldacre just passed. So I'll try to hold it together without without crying. But um, anyway, uh, when they left, let's see, this was uh, eight. This is like 80, I think. So anyway, they... Dick Sims and, and uh, Carl Radel and, and uh, Jamie Milliticker left Clapton. They're back in Tulsa, and um, I think Carl can't remember. And he died shortly after that. I think I can't remember exactly the time factor on that. But it was, it was sad. He passed shortly. He, he passed away shortly after they did their stint with Clapton. So Bill Davis was putting a new band together, and I'd gotten him out of retirement to play with David Tanner, who I mentioned earlier, and, and his band. And we had Monday nights at the Brookside Depot back then. And um, so I got Bill, who's a butcher, a singing butcher, <laughs> and the best, one of the best singers to ever come out of here. Anyway, I got him out of retirement. I said, man, come down and sing with us on Monday night. We got a Monday night gig, and, I, and the crowd's been kind of light. I bet it'll pick things up. So like one week there, the place was packed every Monday. So uh, he once he got his mojo rolling, he, went, he came to me and said, man, I'll get my own band together. Jamie and Dick are coming back from Clapton. He said, you're my man on guitar. I want you to be my guitar player. And I was just going, because uh, those guys are my idols. I mean, you got to understand, when I was in college, I, I was like a sophomore in college when I shot The Sheriff Came Out with, on Ocean Boulevard. And I, I played with that record in every day. I mean, I just, I was, again, plus I was so jacked off the Tulsi guys on it, you know, just immediately. So, so you can imagine fast forward and all of a sudden I'm playing with the, my heroes off that ocean Boulevard album. I mean, it, and I'm younger than those guys. So really that band was Dick Sims on Hammond B3 from Clapton. And he, and he kicked pedals. We didn't have a bass player. He played, he kicked pedals on a Hammond B3 and it sounded great. And, uh, kicked bass pedals on Hammond B3 and then Jamie Oldacre on drums. And then myself on guitar, Bill Davis singing. And that was the best, band to this day logan i've ever been in as far as just sure power and the the people and the players i mean they were freshly off of clapton i was up and coming guy and so i had to reach down from my socks to my head to play to play really play my ass off pardon me saying that uh from the standpoint of they're used to playing with eric so it made me step up and I played in that style, and that's why Bill grabbed me because he knew it fit in perfect. Because I'm a Clapton, uh, you know, big influence, but in big in, uh, Clapton's a big influence on me. So it was just a perfect fit, and we just we opened up for Joe Cocker and some other people. But the cool thing about that band, Logan, was any time, like when the like the Police played, I think Canes or whatever when they first started, or no, no, by then they're bigger. They played, uh, they were. I played the, uh, I think the Civic Center or whatever, but they, they, yeah, the Civic Center. And then they, Jamie knew those guys real well. So Stuart Copeland, the drummer, came in, and I immediately recognized him on a break. And he came up, started talking to Jamie, and because Jamie, you know, he knew everybody from Clapton, from playing with Clapton. So that was cool meeting him. And, you know, it was just a bit, you know, and I look back on that, it was the best band. And probably the happiest time of my musical life from the standpoint I was younger, getting to play with my real idols, my, my heroes from Tulsa that were on hit records from here. And it really didn't get any better than that. I mean, I look back on that. I, I told people in Los Angeles that, you know, but it, 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 answer your question after doing that, 
I uh, had met this young lady that uh, that lived in LA and she was visiting Tulsa and she was a sister of a real good friend of mine. So, and she said, you got to go out there. If you want to go out there, you just, you can just stay at my place or whatever. It's a platonic thing. So anyway, it worked out great. And that's how it happened. March of 83, I went West. All right. And you got to work with a handful of interesting people out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, including the box tops and Gary Bonds and the coasters yeah, yeah. and uh, a lot of these groups that were big uh, a couple yeah, decades pizza. before that. Yeah, Pieces and Herb, all that. I, I, the way I got those gigs, it got to be a cool thing. I did one, a couple of those oldies gigs like that. You go, and I was making good money, uh, and we're doing like two weeks out and back. But I got to be this guy named the late Jesse Floyd was in uh, he was in uh, sang with the coasters off and on. And also he was uh, he was in management, too. And uh, he uh, got me all these gigs, man. He just sold me side unseen to a lot of these oldies. acts like Gary S. Bonds. He said, yeah, I got a rhythm guitar for you looking for a rhythm guitar player. I got him right. I got him in. He's played with this. And, you know, he, I, I, he kind of took me under his wing and basically was kind of my unofficial manager on, he would just get those. I just kind of got in that role where I started getting calls to play rhythm guitar on those oldies kids, you know? And, um, it, you know, it, musically it wasn't the most satisfying thing, but the money was great. And I was learning and the well, main thing I was working and making a living. That's the main thing was I was eating, but, um, you know, just the experience from watching those guys, you know, I play rhythm guitar. I'm just, I'm just an ensemble player in the band, but you know, you can't get out of that situation without learning something really big. It's going to help you up the road, just how they handle themselves and talk to the press. You know, it could be anything from that, how they tie their shoe to how they sing, you know, it's just like, you're going to pick up things from those kind of guys that are that talented and that big that uh, it's going to help you, you know, Exactly. And those sorts of people, it again, it's not really your sort of forte. So what right. were you able to learn from hanging out with that or learn from uh, these people and how they reacted to their audience and how their stage performance was? Uh, we, yeah. What were you able to steal from working with all of these people? Well, that's a great question. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you just pick up like, you know, I watched... Um, Oh, good example, how Gatemouth would handle the a blues crowd. And, you know, that that was, and I'd watch real closely because I knew an <laughs> aspiration someday to be my, you know, do my own deal. <clears throat> Pardon me. So from the blues standpoint of blues audiences, like in a festival or something like that, how you handle that. And then that's, and then playing with Gary S. Bonds, it's not a blues deal. It's like, you know, it's kind of a rock and, you know, he's, um, I worked with him right at, you remember, I don't know if you remember that he did a thing with Bruce Springsteen. And, uh, pardon me. And um, so I played with him right because he, he got hot again. And I got, I was playing with him kind of during that period. So the gigs were great. And he had another run kind of, but um, he, he, he handled the crowd real well. Everybody did it different, but, um, you know, you, just little things you pick up from each one of these kind of people, you know, um, the Shirelles, I worked with them, that girl group, the Marvelettes, I played rhythm guitar with them, you know, and so it was really old R&B stuff. They were on Motown back in the day, but uh, it's funny stories how to hear how some of the songs were cut with the um, with all the session guys from um, 
Motown, you know, the, it was all it was real cool to hear about that but yeah it was just you know you're going to steal something from each one of them and kind of and then make it and then of course turn into a hybrid of you know you, you invent the hybrid of uh hybrid of it all and just kind of mold into, into your own deal you know? exactly sort of. uh so some point after that you made your own group and was this like the scott ellison band the scott ellison trio the yeah, Scott Ellison Band. I, okay. I, you know, I, I never really planned on being a trio, but when I first, what I would do, I was doing these tours. I was really getting, now by this time, I was really getting burned out on doing these road things, and I wanted to do my own deal. So in between tours, I would, you know, always put money back because you're going to end up playing for free. So I'd always make sure I had enough money to cover my guys on a gig, make sure I had this gig, you know, I can pay this on this gig. This is how much you know you're making, and you know, and so that I'd get a couple of static with the boys and make sure that the money's good, and and I wouldn't make anything unless we, you know, made a lot of door money. Which, you know, I was just trying back then playing the door, playing some cool places, but getting seen and getting my sound together. You know, that's the thing. I had to go out and find out what, what my sound was going to be. So I'd had a bigger band, and then I started trimming down, and just you know, the first record I did was just kind of a different. Change the Love was my first CD that I put out. I was with Quicksilver Increase label, and that came out in 93. And it was uh, more of a pop rock record. And uh, and I, there's some blue stuff on the too. I was just trying to find myself because I write everything. I love all kinds of music, but I knew I wanted to be a blues artist. So, you know, you just get better at that, you know, get be better at being a better Scott Ellison by writing better blues songs. So, you know, the first... Uh, the first album was kind of discovering what I do. And it's kind of a, but it basically is made up of tunes that, um, that I thought, you know, that you kind of spend your whole life making, preparing to make your first record. So you, you got a lot of stuff to go through to make, <laughs> to try to get the, you know, the best 10 songs to, or whatever on there, 12 songs or whatever, depends how many you put on there. But, um, once that came out and I was on the road and playing that I knew that, you know, what to do, in fact, when I, before my first tour, on my first tour, I had a four-piece band, so I had keys, guitar, bass, and drums, so I could replicate the record and everything. So, yeah, it just you know you just have to find your sound, and, and I I was a sideman all the way up to I was thirty-four years old, so um, I didn't go solo yeah, until right then. So I had a lot to do. <laughs> when you made that CD, Chains of Love, was that your first experience in a recording studio? Oh, no, no. I've been in the studio since I've been, you know, probably 16, 17, yeah, 16. Uh, my first experience, that was my first solo record. And, and um, so it was a learning experience. I, you know, I've been in a lot of the studios before, but it was a fun record, you know, and the thing I listen to it now, and it really still sounds good to me for the fact that, uh, of course, some of the stuff sounds dated because it was from the year, but the blue stuff, you know, blue, the blues music, it doesn't really date blues or jazz. You could cut it, you know, 20 years ago. And it's, it just sound just as prevalent now as it was cut two days ago. You know, it's just, it's the music. So, uh, but yeah, I, I look back at it and see how hard, I mean, I, 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 I look, I listen to that record. I just look at it and I go, God, man, did I chop rocks to get that one done. But, you know, I do that on everything, but it's just that, that the first one's kind of special. Cause that's, it's like your first, uh, uh, would be a good analogy. It's like your first, 
if you're a baseball player, I guess it'd be your first hit in the major leagues or something like that. And, and you're rounding the, you know, they, they give you the ball after you get a base hit and you put it in a case or something. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It you does. Just, yeah. It's kind of like the analogy. I always use the sports analogy because they're so close to me, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was cool. And I still, you know, um, I just love making records, man. I, you know, and especially now, Logan, I mean, with this COVID thing, you know, I just had my, you know, new CD, and I'm going to did you get the CD? I'm going to send it to your phone. Did you get the CD I sent to you? I think uh, I did. I, I did not. Well, I will get, I will send you this uh, new disc. I got it on SoundCloud and I'll send it to you Okay. on your phone, on your phone there. But yeah, it's, uh, I love making records. And with this COVID thing going on, I had no plans to make another record. This is, this is how crazy the business works. I just got off the road in February and I had a whole summer tour lined up with, you know, East Coast. I was going to go to Germany as the East Coast U.S. thing and then go out the heartland again and then go to Germany after that. And everything's popping and then the light, the light switch went off and the world stopped. So so basically, this is how crazy it is. I'm going to tell you how crazy this is. I mean, it works different for everybody. So I was just like, what am I going to do? I'm bouncing off the walls. I just got off the road in February that was shut down two weeks later. I was supposed to go out on the road and promote this record, you know? So anyway, I'm like a lion in a cage. And then I get a phone call from Michael Price and, um, you know, he wrote all those hits, temptation eyes in the heart of the city. Ain't no love in the heart of the city for Bobby Bland. Just a bunch of hits. Anyway. So we're riding together. We've been riding eight hours a day. And uh, from L.A., you know, L.A., Tulsa, L, L, L.A. via Tulsa, L.A., and, you know, just being able to, uh, with technology, can it's, it's pretty easy to do, actually. You have to work a little harder at it from the standpoint of the, of, the toy, of the toy town aspect of it, you know, with all the bells and whistles of files and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's working out really well. And, and um, so, anyway, long story short, buddy, I... I I had no plans on, I've got to do this, but once he called me, we, this is the fourth week. We're going to, we start at uh, around two o'clock this afternoon and uh, we'll probably work till 10 o'clock. So we've been working like six to eight hours a day for this is the fourth week um, in a row. So we just about got a new album written. Wow. It's going to be called blood on the string. So it'll be out. It won't be out for a while. Cause my new one just came out in March or March. My new one just came out May 8th. So this won't be out for a while, you know, so, but we're working on the song. We're about done with the tunes for it already. So I'm so far ahead of the game. And, uh, so with this COVID thing, the live thing, I know it's going to be happening for a while. So, you know, I'm just trying to stay prepared, uh, and the, uh, my point of this thing is like, I, if I would have done that too, I wouldn't have gotten this phone call, you know, I wouldn't have gotten, uh, being able to do anything about it. Or I, if I would gotten the call, I'd been on the road. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't act on things. So anyway, with this phone call came other bigger things from that level. He's one of the top writers in the, you know, in music. So just the people, just that, that camp of uh, big people, it's, it's been, you know, been the best thing that's ever happened to me. So this is uh, a really, you got to have some luck. And when the luck happens, you got to have the good. So that's, that's what uh, I, I was taught. And um, by the late, great Jimmy Oldacre, he said, when the, when the, you know, luck is great and luck, you got to have a lot of luck, but you better be ready. When the luck happens, you better have the goods. If you're a writer, you better have the songs. If you're a player, you better be ready to play like a house on fire. 
happen. So, you know, and I, I miss Jamie real bad, man. He passed away a couple of weeks ago and that one just turned me inside out. So it's been, it's been tough, but uh, I learned a lot from Jamie and, you know, that's the business is the hardest thing. And he really took me under his wing, not just musically, but teaching me about the business. And I was very fortunate that I had somebody that, knew that much about it to teach me the guy i mean he knew everything you know he played on hits played with clapton so i mean i had the best the best mentor anybody could ever have so i feel very blessed about that absolutely your next cd that came out a couple of years after that is called live at joey's yeah we're going back yeah live at joey's man that was a blast um that's a lot of stuff off of uh change the love live and then uh some other new ones at the time but uh yeah that was fun uh man it just well, it was a long time ago and uh yeah i had a I had a blast doing that and uh what a fun place to play those were fun fun times when i got back from la in 94 uh that was the place to play and it just you got me uh you know i just really got immersed in the blues even i mean really deep into the blues i kind of went more when I got back to Tulsa, I kind of, I was always into, you know, I mean, I did everything. I love the blues, you know, mainly, but I played, you know, I might play an Al Green tune, then might do a Thunderbirds tune. You know what I mean? I just liked r So I honed my deal down to more in the blues area totally, but still within that format, didn't stay just in the straight ahead traditional blues. I just kind of found my niche in the blues the way I do it. And then basically, uh, kind of started trying to make it, you know, just right. And it just, I didn't try, but it just started coming out more uh, commercial because it's the way I did it. And I think that comes from playing so much any kinds of music, you know, and now I'm riding with these big guys and, um, you know, Steve Legasic, Steve Barry wrote all these hits too. And so these guys are working with me, you know, uh, from LA and uh, I'm telling you, man, they're keeping me on my toes. I can barely keep up with these guys, man. It's like they're the best in the West. They've all written hits, all three of them. So working with those guys, so it keeps you on your toes. Like I'm <laughs> my day job, my music camp starts at two o'clock today, Logan. <laughs> nice. It's a music camp, man. It's great though. I love it. It's keeping me on my toes. These guys are, I mean, they are taskmasters beyond comprehension, which is great. I mean, I'm learning, learning so much. And, uh, I'm 66, and that's the thing about art. You know, you, you know, my mother's 90, and she still paints. She can't walk anymore, but she can still paint. She plays bridge, and she's still, still, she's still great. And so, you know, I believe, and that inspired me. You know, growing up and seeing her, you know, as she ages, she, you know, still is great. And um, and that's why I'm about music. I mean, you know, I just love learning stuff. I mean, I'm thirsty for knowledge. And 66, man, I'm, I'm really getting better you know all the time i'm still improving i'm still growing and so that's the beautiful thing about music and art i mean it's just you know you can really work at it hard you can progress even you're an old like me <laughs> and um that that joey cd is kind of cool uh red hot records um they were a label out of kansas city weren't they yeah they were and it was off to a great start uh, it's just like Oh man, this is a crazy stuff. This is one of the devastating things that happened early in my career that really shook me up. But uh, uh, they came out with the first record. I was the second record out on the label. Yeah, I think they did one more. 
Uh, no, I was, yeah. Was, yeah, it, was, it, the that, was one. it that Lee McBee CD? Lee McBee, yeah, and he was great, man. He was he was so nice to me. He was a, he, he almost made it to the top of the heat, but uh, Kid Ramos from the Thunderbirds was on guitar. He had a real great lineup on that record. And so, um, anyway, they took me up and, and uh, they took the, you know, they said, hey, we'll take the master from what George Ward could deal with you. So, that was cool because they're from Kansas City and I'm so, I'm being able to show, hey, man, this is our blues thing here. So now a Kansas city label that has great musicians and great people there, really some very good friends of mine live in Kansas city. And so I was getting to kind of by proxy hustle Tulsa music to Kansas city. <laughs> you know, I didn't plan that. Of course, it just kind of worked out. And so everybody in Kansas city was digging our groove. You know, of course I dig what they do too, but it was kind of fun to see their comments and feel so good about, uh, other people and you know people in Kansas City loving the Tulsa thing because we have our own sound. I mean, you know that, you know, and uh, the Tulsa sound is really from Leon and Kale and although that started there and Jamie's in there uh, in that Old Decker and uh, Dick Sims, the late Dick Sims, and so those guys are all part of that too. But the you know, so they were hearing. Of course, I'm a a hybrid of, of that and uh but they it, it really made me feel good logan that they love tulsa music because you know some people like if you bring you know there's some people could be very standoffish like if, if they oh, who's he think he is coming in here <laughs> you know that kind of thing but most people are really receptive like when i play buddy guys in chicago they love the tulsa thing man they just eat it up and that makes me feel great because the guy my 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 heroes that invented this stuff uh it's you know people they they try to play like this all over the world I, and i know we play you know spot calling the kettle black a little bit because we uh, try to play like the chicago guys and try to play you know you get to pick up things and when i say try to play like so I, I what i'm meaning by all this is, is you absorb you know i've got buddy there's a little buddy guy in every note i play there's a little eric clapton in everything i play you know what i mean so but it was just fun to see that that take so well in Kansas City. That was that was a real fun thing for me. And then the then the tragic part about that is the label guy died. I think he had a heart attack or something. And that was the end of the label. It was just starting to take off. So that was a disappointment. Because Lee McVee's album really was starting to take off. And then Mike came out next, like as his is kind of starting to kind of move uh kind of kind of uh even out, kind of uh, just you know, do his deal. Then they so case released live at Joey's, and then the guy died shortly after that. So it's like, oh my god, this is terrible. So it was tragic, but I learned a lot on that, and met, you got to meet a lot of those cool people in Kansas City. I'm still friends with today, so it's all good. Right, and Joey's. It makes me think of uh, of two things. It makes me think of rocking John Henry, and the oh, other my thing man. is the Smokehouse Blues show. Oh, John Henry, uh, not to interrupt you, John Henry, I totally hold responsible for breaking me in radio completely. He's the guy that broke me here on Camo Dean. We did some morning shows. Those were so fun back then. Well, I remember of it because we're drinking coffee. And some of us, sometimes you'd have to stay up from the gig to make it. But um, he, he got, he broke me. He played, oh, bless his heart. Just, he was such a great act, man. He, he, uh, he, he really got my career going in radio. I hold him. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't, you know, he got the 
you set the fire to get that baby going. And uh, just the nicest guy in the world. And boy, I'm talking about, you'll never meet another guy like that, that knew so much about the blues. He knew I could tell, he could tell you, Hey, uh, what color was that 45 that buddy guy did stone crazy on in 1960 or something go, that was a gray label with a black. It said, buddy, it said, buddy guy. I don't it said there that it said, you know, X two one one eight catalog number. I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking. He was that good. Wow. And just an encyclopedia. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, I'm that way about credits on who people, you know, I was always interested in that. I was a kid. I love baseball cards. Uh, so I, I could remember stats, you know, like Mickey Mantle, you know, triple crown year, hit 61 or hit 56 home runs, blah, 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 blah you know, on, on and on. And so that's the way, uh, I was about albums who played. I always was curious on who played on what, who wrote the song, all those little, you know, the, who played drums. I was always just real curious on the people that were around this song, whether it was the players, the writer, the artist, whatever. So, but anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a cool deal, man. Who are some of these uh, groups that you were playing with and opening with at Joey's? Uh... I didn't really see at Joey's. I think I didn't really open for anybody at Joey's. I'm trying to think I might've done one thing there opening. I did just a lot of double bills. I did a lot of weekend nights that uh, Polly S and I had a Monday night for about a year and Gus Hard would come out on Mondays and, uh, Oh God, that was fun. Those, Oh my God. I didn't drink. I'd quit drinking by, you know, like in LA, but Oh man, well, she could, they, they, I remember guys would slam those tequila shots down and sing her tail off and just, and you know, go, Oh my God. And then Polly, you know, um, Oh, there's a thing. Somebody sent me on Polly. Uh, it's, I'm playing with the late Polly. Yes. Um, we're outside at some little, uh, afternoon get together for a, a gal that died. And, uh, at the time, I mean, we're all out there, uh, near the lake, I think, at some old park or something. I'm playing acoustic guitar and she's singing. I think Ron, Ron, uh, Ronnie Mack was uh, playing the tambourine or something. Like He's like playing on the two and four. We play for about a minute. There's like a minute of it. And it's just like, oh, my God, oh, I do I miss her. She's a great lady, great singer. She was on the Live at Joey's record, too, by the way. She was singing on that with me. Oh, really? Yeah, you'll see Polly S on there. She was singing. So, yeah, man, that was a fun record. You know, my favorite cut on that is that Stones tune we did. We did all original except one off of Let It Bleed. Uh, it was, I heard that, it blew me away, man. Um, it's funny to go back to old recordings by Royal, because I'm a Stones fanatic. Uh, uh, let's see, Live With Me. We did Live With Me off of, Be off of Let It Bleed. By right. the Rolling Stones, yeah, check that one out. It's pretty cool. It's it's, it's fun. That but then that, that's the late David Tanner on piano, and um, he was the guy I was telling you about that him and his dad had the club that had Gate Mouth back in the day. So he was a great musician, and then you know, and they got the club with his dad. But yeah, man, that was fun. That was a fun period, man. How many uh, episodes or appearances did you make on the Smokehouse Blues Show? I probably made. I would say probably 10, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's some, I hope they say some of that stuff. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure, you know, uh, when I came out to Tulsa from Los Angeles, I brought Lou Johnson with me, the great Lou Johnson. He uh, had a lot of hits as a singer in the 60s, Message to, uh, message to Martha, and 
you know, had some big, had a couple of hits. And uh, anyway, I brought him. Everybody knew who he was. He played great keys. And we played in L.A. for about six years before I uh, brought him back to Tulsa. State here about a year and a half. And uh, he was married, so you know his wife was going to kill him if he didn't get back. But we 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 did some show we did some shows together at uh, the Small Caps Blues. Boy, I'd love to hear some of that stuff. He's such a great singer and had a blast, man. That was so fun. That was so fun. I miss those days. That was just so much music going around, you know. Right. And then uh, your next CD after that is called Steaming. Yes, it is, and. Um, Funny thing about that, it was a great record. It, it uh, that that steaming had quite a journey. Uh, but I'll tell you real shortly. I'm probably yapping here. I've had a lot of coffee, so I could talk to you and remember things. I've, I hope, and I'm so far so good. Knock on wood. The coffee's helping my my uh, brain remember. But that record was special. We did that in L.A. and um, that was the one that got away. As far as uh, that, that was the one that was almost broke me. I my law my entertainment lawyer. Leonard Karopkin, um, uh, real expensive, and I couldn't use him too much, but he shopped that deal for me at Warner Brothers, and uh, this guy was head of business and legal affairs, uh, loved it, and he was just going to push it through. With his word, it pretty much is a done deal, so he invited me up, so I'm at Warner Brothers, right? Right. Never. This is my top of the top of the heap in the major label. This is my major label moment that, you know, you maybe get to if you're lucky, you get to see one time, uh, if at all. But anyway, I went up there and the WB, like, you know, it's just like walking into a sanctuary of like Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers. I was going, this is, and I went, this is freaking crazy, man. So I walked in and um, went up and, and uh, sat in, and the, the reception said, I'll, you know, tell, I'll tell uh, Fred you're here. I walk in, Logan, I walk into this office and it's like, he had a full official NBA glass backboard in his office. And it was really, it was like he could shoot. It was like a half a court in his office. He could shoot like he could shoot threes in his office. I mean, official threes. And it was a real big long. And then at the end was his desk and all kinds of bells and whistles. But he had, and he, here's the thing. He had a pair of uh, baggy, basketball pants on laker jersey laker hat sunglasses and jordans had some jordans on with no socks and he's at work at warner brothers right and i just saw laker tickets all over the you know it's so i guess they're so they got so much stroke up there they can just you know at that time wearing a lake i mean maybe you just put it on or something or, or you know you just never know it's just stuff so quacky out there but anyway so I go in, I go, God, man, this is great, man. You mind if I shoot one? I did. He goes, yeah, yeah. Shoot. I mean, I just kind of immediately slipped and said that because I would forgot that I was in a Warner Brothers guy's office and I, I shot and missed it, but it got close. But anyway, uh, he cracked up, said, yeah, come over here, man. I didn't know you like basketball. It was just kind of one of those things that just happened. You know what I mean? You just kind of walk in and, okay, you're floating on air, man. You can't do, you can't do anything wrong, you know? So anyway. I sat down. He holds up my CD that I'd left and that sent him, and he goes, "This is your first record, right here. I love this." He said, "I'm going to push this through, and and uh, it's going to work out." If he goes, "How much does it cost?" At that time, I and also I'd signed it to a smaller label, so I, at the time I wouldn't worry about it because I knew they they could 
cash them out for in two seconds. So that was going to happen. I was elated. Twenty, uh, see, forty-eight hours later, he's fired. So it's new government at the thing. So the thing was off, and that's how that happened. So I got that was my close rec, major label chance there. But anyway, that's why steam and it's, I'm real proud of it. And then it became kind of a. a then I, it became Ice Storm because uh, uh, this label out of Chicago picked it up and added more songs to it, and it was kind of like almost like a John Lennon thing. It, it had been out before, but they added like four, four or five more songs onto it. So they took the best of Steaming, like five new tunes, four or five new tunes, and then made it Ice Storm. So that came out on Earwig label in two oh eight, I think. So, uh, so it's had its journey, but it, you know that, that's a special record to me because of the. Uh, the close call is like what they say close counts and ho- hang grenades and horseshoes right mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what happened on that one i like the song on there um jesus loves me baby why don't you yeah you know i recut that with the like the late great jimmy oldecker that was the single on my uh on my uh the new version of it on my uh elevator man album and he's on the single. Jamie is Jamie Oldacre, and uh, yeah, that was fun. I wrote that with Terry Left, and everybody loves that song. That's one of the most requested tunes I play. You know. Oh really? Yeah. Then uh, shortly after that, you did "One Step from the Blues." Right. Did that in uh, 2000, and that's another label thing that almost happened. Here's a funny one on that one. I uh, finished that one, and. Uh, sent it to uh Ishaban records or not at business and at the time they're the biggest blues label out there alligator and Ishaban were it and an english gentleman i can't remember his name uh signed me and gave me a one record deal with an option on it and it was going to come out of my birthday uh that was 2000 so it would have been my birthday uh my, in uh, june 13th 2000 and two days before the birthday he calls and, and said the company's no longer operational they filed chapter 11. So I was, I was actually, I think the last guy signed on that label before they went chapter 11. So that's my claim to fame. It was a big label. I said, yeah, I was signed to Ishaban. It just never came out. <laughs> so I can name drop Ishaban and at least it's, it, 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 you know, it perks up a few people. But anyway, that was a, that was a real bummer. Cause I was real excited after the Warner brothers thing fell through. Then, then my next thing. And, and I just thought, so what else could happen? Uh, things going crazy in there, but anyway, uh, that's, I said, I said, what else can happen after uh, that Warner Brothers deal fell through? I'm just going, well, here it happens again. Now another label goes, you know, this guy gets fired, this label goes under, and uh, getting kind of discouraged. But end up, I end up putting it out of my own label, and you know, Jimmy Markman, I did a tour actually on. He had a record in Nashville called. Um, Oh, what was it? Oh, tight. Was it that? Wound up tight, right? And I had one step for the blues, and we did a double tour on those records. We toured all over the. We did a U.S. tour, played Buddy Guys, played House of Blues. Uh, that was a blast, man. That was a blast. And uh, there's some pictures from that tour I've got somewhere, but yeah, I'll try to get you some shots of that. You'll love it. There's a picture of us standing outside of Buddy Guys. We're all dressed up, and and uh, yeah, Jimmy was great about that. Man, he said, "Hey, man." We got to look sharp every night. We got to we got to look we got to we got to look sharp every night with suits, man. We got and, and so he was really uh, 
responsible for me stepping up my game in the dress department on those big gigs. He was uh, came from that school, you know, like, hey, man, look your Sunday best on these blues gigs. So, you know, it, it, and it gave it, uh, you know, for me to have another instrument in the band and a singer is like having an orchestra when you got a three piece band. Just add one more piece. It's like you got now you got an orchestra. You got a guy who plays harmonica and sings and he plays harmonica like like a saxophone player or something like he'll when you're playing you know solos he'll be going uh 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 you know playing you know playing like a keyboard player or something so he he oh god i miss him too man jimmy is great i've got a, a recording i was telling you about when we talked on the phone i'm gonna get that i'll send you five of those uh, i've got a little uh cd i put together live uh live at no live new year's eve 1999 at Nathan P. Murphy's in uh, Springfield, Missouri. So that's pretty cool to hear. Karstein, myself, Markham, and uh, Casey uh, Sanders. So, yeah, it was fun. So who was your uh, touring band for, for those um, gigs? Oh, touring band for the, the, the part, the, like, the, what, what's, what uh, period? You mean for the one-step period? Yeah, for your tour with that, with uh, with Jimmy Markham, double. Okay, up. yeah, that, that lineup, that? that lineup, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Jim Ziegler on bass, Johnny Barbado on drums, uh, Markham and myself. That was a U.S. tour. The and, same uh, Jim Ziegler that works at the music store, right? Same Jim Ziegler. Yeah, I got him away. I got him. You know. I got Larry let me take him out on this tour, you know, and he had his, kept his job, but uh, he I, he let me steal him for to do the tour. So you know, he'd get we'd do two weeks and he'd go back and work, and then we'd do you know I mean that kind of thing. So he's able to I was able to make a word. Uh, thank God for Larry York uh, being so cool about it, and he's a and I tell you, Larry York man. A lot of people probably don't know, but he's one of the best bass players I've ever played with. He, he when I first got back. Uh, I had this. I had some gigs booked, and I didn't have a band. I mean, like you know. And so I said, "Oh hell, I'll, <laughs> I'll get somebody to run this, run this place. I'll go out with you." So he 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 did like a, he did like four or five three and backs with me because you know he's managed the music store. But he 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 pulled me out of a lot of pickles when I needed a bass player. He learned the stuff. You know, he, he could play the phone book backwards. So he he. Uh, you know, he was overqualified to play my stuff. He's a real jazzer too. So he, he's got big ears and he figured it out quick and did it, did it as the trio and, and saved my butt, man. I'll tell you, he's a really fantastic person and a um, great musician. And, uh, Oh yeah. The, all those guys down there. That's my, uh, that's my Sam Drucker's 220, if you will. Right. You know, you know what I mean? We, everybody kind of hang and, you know, I love that place. I love all those guys. I bought more stuff there than, Carter's got pills, man. But uh, anyway, that that's uh, love those guys. But yeah, that was the band with Mark, and we had a blast. And um, the only regret, I wish I had a recording of that band. I think somebody does have some recordings of maybe some a little bit of that tour, hopefully. But uh, I'm glad I got this Jimmy Markham 1999 thing, the the uh, live at uh, Nathan P. Murphy's in 1999. So that that makes me feel great. Right. Um, yeah, that stuff, there's nothing like having that, those old recordings of people that are, have passed on. And it's, uh, you know, listen to Jimmy's facility. He's the best, he's might be the best heart player and art, you know, I've ever heard really, you know, like little, he's up there with little Walter and all those guys, man. Absolutely. Jimmy's CD came out on a 
Sideshoe to King Snake Records, and I forget what that was, but it was Ace Morland that got him. Yeah, that's that, wound up tight. Yeah, that record deal. Tight. Did you ever yeah. work with Ace Morland? No, I almost did though. Good question. I uh, Ace was uh, going to get me hooked up. I was I was labelless at the time, and I uh, called him, and they were going to do something with me at King Snake. Jimmy was helping me too, and then the guy ended up getting real sick and passing away. I can't remember who the guy was, Bob but Bob uh, Greenley. Bob Greenley, yeah, Bob really liked my stuff, and Jimmy was pushing for me as Ace was too. Those guys were batting for me hard. Ace made some great records with um, with King Snake. He, he, uh, do you have any of those records, Ace Moreland records? I got, I got a couple of them. God, he's good, man. I really liked his stuff. He was such a great guy. Man. I, I know, just, I do you know, too. I, I love, I love that guy. Well, he's killer. He's, uh, he's one of those good. guys I consider uh, a musical influence to me. Absolutely. And he was uh, influenced to me too, man. When I first met him, he just, I loved the guy when I first met him and um, he lived in Tulsa for a long time. And uh, yeah, he, he, he really was, you know, whenever he would stick with his plan better than anybody I think I've ever seen in blues. I mean, as far as like before anybody else did, does that make sense? In other words, like he was more organized with his blues music to present than anybody else at that time I knew. He just had his, he knew who he was, knew what he wanted to play, very highly organized with his music. Not only the writing part for a presentation, he was just, he was, I think he, I think he had a better, um, I think he really had a better facility than any of us at that period uh, on just organization. And, he, and not only being a great musician and artist, but he was really highly, extremely organized and that kind of rubbed off on me to get my act together quicker on this organization stuff. But, well, he was a good boy, man. I miss my, I miss my man bad. He's a good one. No kidding. Uh, Ace, you know, he grew up with, uh, Steve and Cassie Gaines up there in Miami. And, right. And all right. That. Yeah. Crawdhead, Crawdhead, Steve Gaines. I saw, I saw him play. I was 15. I think Logan, I think I was 15. I snuck in some place. It was by, it was, where was this place? It was like a lake, lake deal somewhere. But I remember hearing him play I Know a Little then, before Skinner. That was his tune. Right. That was his, yeah. And I, I, I was sitting, can you imagine walking, so when I heard that, I just fell on my, I just, oh my God, this guy's insane, man. So good, and then <laughs> he copped the Leonard Skinner gig, and they did that on that Street Survivors record. Wasn't that on the last record they made? I want to say so, yeah. And that was like, oh my god, it was killer. But the version they did was great too. You know, it's just two different versions. But really? yeah, what a what a talent! Cassie's a great singer, and boy, Steve was one hell of a guitar player. Man, he was really ahead of his time. And um, died too young in a plane crash. Yeah, that was just so tragic. I was with Pryor playing. We were playing a, a gig somewhere in Tulsa. We just kind of got together and did this throw together gig. And we we, we rushed down to a club because we, we were just hopefully we were. I mean, it's tragic. Anybody died, but we were freaking out that we didn't know at that time that Steve cassie were in the plane we we were just hoping that maybe they they came out okay i mean we're wishful thinking driving about 90 miles an hour 
down to Magician's Theater to, to get the news from because you know that's the best place to find out what's going on. Then I mean that was the place to hang. So that was a tragic one, but that that was a young tragic loss. I mean that one really affected me hard because he was just so full of life and so great. And and you're young and see that you know. So it's just been you know seeing a lot of tragedy in my life of great people that are close to me and dear to me go uh, pass away, and um, you never get. It never gets any easier, you know. It's, uh, but he was—he was such a talent, man. God rest his soul. I tell you, he, he left a lot for the short time he was here. He influenced a lot of guys, man. Absolutely. And then, uh, then in 1988, um, MCA, I believe, is, uh, is who it was. They did that uh, CD, LP, and cassette reissue of, uh, I guess, some studio tracks he did called "One in the Sun." Yeah, I never heard that. I, I heard it was great. I never heard that actually. Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you that one too if you want. Yeah, right. We, we yeah. I've, I've got. I've got to get on the stick today. After the interview, I'm gonna. I'm gonna uh, send off the uh, Markham thing. I'll, I'll send you some CDs. I'll send you my last three studio CDs, so you'll have them, and then uh, I'll send that live Markham thing from '99. Perfect. You'll get a big kick out of it. Oh yeah, it has all the Markhamisms in there. The well, well, well. And roll but just just it has all the stuff he's you'll love it. It's oh really yeah, cool. oh yeah. And then um, getting back to uh, get back to your career here, um, you did a couple of CDs on a label called Burnside Records. Yeah, out of Portland, I did uh, Cold Heart Cash. I did that album with uh, Dennis Walker, produced and wrote all the hits for Robert Cray. He's Robert Cray's producer, and uh, I did that with him and Alan Burbank and. Uh, some about half of Robert Cray's bands on that album. Jimmy Pugh, pardon me. The coffee's not wearing off. I'm just yawning. Um, let's see. Jimmy Pugh on B3 played on a lot of the Robert Cray stuff. He's in the band a long time. Then Lee Spath was on drums. He played on Smoking Gun and all those tunes on that Star and Persuader record. So <clears throat> that was cool. Then he got the producer and hit maker for Cray. So I learned a lot. We made a good record. Um, really proud of that one there's some things on there i mean it's it's not really a blues record per se it's kind of a kind of it's kind of uh there's some blues on there it's more kind of r&b pop um maybe a little bit more kind of little it's contemporary blues but a little more popped out you know he wanted to go another direction he thought it'd be cool and i said okay let's do it you know so but yeah it's it's got his thing it's got really it's kind of a uh more popped out contemporary blues if you will it's like you know what i consider like skyline drive my album out now that's the one that's out now is that's contemporary blues but this one's like it was more um oh i guess it was just more popped out if, if i had to if i had to come up with something that's what i would probably do it's just more popped out than you know some other ones but he you know the production on it was great he's a great producer and um Learned a lot from him. My God, he's written so many hits, too. He wrote some, um, let's see, Right Next Door, you know, on that Strong Persuader album. That was the second hit off that record. Then he wrote Forecast Calls for Pain as a title track on a record. He wrote, uh, uh, oh, man, Phone Booth. He wrote that. Oh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. That was a title track on a record. Dang. Yeah, so he, he's written a lot of hits. So I was in good hands on that. Learned a lot. Got to work with and one of the, uh, Michael Thompson who plays. He's with the Eagles for like 15 years. He, he's the only album as long as that uh, the last one they made. But uh, he played. He's um, 
East of Eden or whatever back to East of, East of Eden or whatever that last Eagles record was. Oh yeah, on. I remember that one. Yeah, and then and he's on. Uh, he plays so uh, he's got so good. I mean, he plays with everybody. But at that time, he was playing the Eagles. He still does play the Eagles when they play. Um, but they uh, they uh, had uh, he played with the Eagles, and then he did Glenn Fry solo gig, and he also did Don Henley solo gig. Rough life, huh? <laughs> oh, I know. It's got to be. So, but he's so good. I mean, he's the best one I've ever heard in my life. So he's on that. So there's some stellar guys on that record. And it's, it's a cool sound of record. Then um, then you mentioned Ice Storm already. Um, right. Which is just kind of a reissue plus a couple other uh, songs. Right. It's like Steam. It's like Steaming. And since Steaming never got picked up by the majors, they just said, okay, we'll, we'll get like the best of Steaming and then get these new things and call it Ice Storm. You know, so that's how that Right, and that was uh, a deal that got you a number one song. Yeah, I did. I had my first number one blues hit off the called Cadillac Woman. And uh, here's the funny thing. It went viral in, in uh, China. Really? And they invented a dance. You can go on and see this dance. They, so there's some Chinese, uh, Chinese ladies invented some kind of a line dance thing with it. It's cool as hell. It's funny. It's just like it's just like a blue shuffle. They invented this dance thing. So you never know what's going to happen, man. And then I've got another tune that uh, it's on a Victoria's Secret commercial, and uh, I need a check. <laughs> I haven't been paid. I don't know how they got it, but all I know, you know, it's on a Victoria's Secret commercial. Check it out, man. It's called Shake It With The Blues. Walt Richmond and I wrote it from, you know, from Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton's keyboard player, J.J. Kale's keyboard player. Right. And, uh, oh, my God. It is, well, yeah, uh, just put in on YouTube. You're, you, you'll like this. Being a, you know, all the dudes dig it. The chicks probably don't like it too much. But it's like the Victoria's Secret. It's a high-budget deal i mean you'll have to see it but it's called shaking with the blues just go to youtube type in shaking with the blues scott ellison and then you'll and, and you'll see it and you'll see a pretty girl in the front box there right and just hit that and then it has the whole the whole uh the whole deal right there that is hilarious yeah i haven't been paid victoria's secret man nobody's cut me a check yet and i've got a buddy it's a hit sorry said you gotta have you been on their butts man you gotta get your money man you, they owe you money you gotta get a check i said yeah, that sounds good, but I tell you what, if I could meet a couple of those girls, I'll just blow the money off. You guys can keep it. <laughs> you just give me, let, introduce me to one of those one of those girls. That's all. I, the one with the guitar, you'll see. That's one I want to meet. And, and keep the money. Hell, I, I'll, I'm, I'm easy, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, but it's uh, funny stuff like that happens, you know? And during this COVID thing, I'm just t- thinking, I wonder how much that adds up to right now, you know? But I'm, I don't, I'm joking. It's no big deal. I'm doing real good right now, but uh, anyway, it's, that's a funny one. And that's all I got to tell you. You'll love this, Casey. Uh, we, we're recording my. This, you'll love this. We, we're recording uh, Skyline Drive album, and I, and I told him about it, and he watched it, and he goes, he came back the next day. He said, "Said man, it's Casey Van because man, there, there's your, <laughs> there's your electronic press kit. Just dump everything else you got. There's your kit." <laughs> The way he said, he goes, hell, there's your kit. <laughs> Short for EPK kit, you know? That's right. Out, man. Yeah, dump everything you got. Just, just trap door everything. Send that out. You can play everywhere, anywhere you want, you know? Hell, send that to the BOK. You can play Friday night there. Right. 
<laughs> so anyway, it's a it's a wacky business, man. And I'll tell you, getting this call, like everything that's going on right now, it's so crazy because um, I'm working with the, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. When we uh, here's another assignment for you that just so you'll love this. Type in Steve, just regular Steve, and then B-A-R-R-I dot com. And that's who's executive producer of this new Blood on the Strings record I'm doing. And he's written a bunch of hits. He's been an A&R guy. He's big. And uh, check his deal out. That's so that's who I'm working with. Okay. And Michael, Michael Price. So it's a real cool thing. I It's like music camp for me, man. I, I uh, start it too and go till I drop. You know, these guys, it was, Michael Price is probably the biggest taskmaster I've ever dealt with, you know. And he hears grass grow. I swear to God, he goes, uh, "Hey, I got the demo. I like it. Listen, you're flat on that second chorus before the solo. The last four notes on the last word, you're 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 un- you're under it a little bit. I mean, here's it's like really okay because I usually hear that stuff immediately, but here's stuff I don't hear. So, and he's written hits, so I feel I'm a good hand. So I pretty much he makes the calls on those. So <laughs> there you go, letting the uh, let the hit makers do their thing. They do so well, right? Right. Let them do their thing. Exactly. In uh, 2009, at the Performing Arts Center, you got to open for B.B. King. Yes, I did. And I'll tell you, that was probably the best. Me- that's my most special musical moment for the fact that, well, there's a lot of factors. My, my late uh, wife was there and uh, with my my son, who now is 23, I think he was 12 at the time. Um, then, uh, let's see, my, my mom and dad were there. He's gone now. He passed away. So my parents were there. That was a, uh, they never had seen me play. That was the biggest gig I think they'd seen, except they came to Vegas in the 80s. I, I got them when I was playing with the uh, Marvelettes, I think, of the short, it was Marvelettes, I think, at the Valleys. And I was playing rhythm guitar with them. And, and so, that's the only time they'd really see me play live with a, you know, uh, in a place like that. But it was fun performing at our center. So anyway, it went great. Um, we we really rehearsed hard for it. We worked up a cool set of originals and and uh, be, I played the show, got a good response. And BB's band was backstage. They just went crazy. They just go, oh man, we love those songs. You guys are, oh, we love we love you guys. You know, so because they they got a big band. So I think they were digging the material, digging the presentation, and digging the fact that we're four piece doing funky more r&b you know kind of along the lines of robert cray and then of course some you know gritty shuffles in there the t-town shuffle but um anyway bb was real nice and so probably three songs into his set they were playing rock me baby and he called me out on stage and um it wasn't an amp or anything but anyway he got his horn players to get me a chair next to him he played he's the band at vamp Mm-mm-mm-mm. And he and he's talking to me, and he remembered me meeting me in Las Vegas years ago, and uh, we were talking. He said, "You know, thank you for helping out tonight." And you know, he just couldn't be nicer. So that was that was so special, man. I mean, you can't. I, I still can't believe it. You know. I, I, and here's the crazy thing. Here's the beautiful thing about that. Talking about, you know, I was mentioning earlier, I wish somebody had a recording of so and so. I wish I could hear it or whatever. Well, as chance has it. As luck has it, uh, I had shortly, maybe a week after that show, gotten on the internet and said, put a post. I said, um, if anybody has a recording of the B.B. King Scott Ellison show, I'd be indebted. <laughs> so I'd love to have, 
you know, pictures or recording or whatever. So like three months later, I get an email from some guy in LA that was at that show with a friend and he goes around and records concerts all the time. And he would, I mean, I mean, how, how lucky can you get? Right. right. So I've got, I've got that, I've got my show and then I've got his show. So I've got both shows. I've got the thing where he calls me out. It's it's really special to me, man. It's like to be able to hear that, you know, uh, is, you know, you just, it's really, uh, it's religion, man. You know, he, he was the nicest guy I've ever met in the business in my life. He, he was, uh, the kindest man. And, and, and really, uh, you know, he, uh, on the way out, they're pushing him out to the bus and, um, he was talking, he said, Scotty, watch your money <laughs> i was going okay because like you know he has a lot of mouths to feed but he was really he looked at me and it was like it was almost like when my when my dad was passing away and he looked at me and said take care of your mother look at me take care of your mother you know that real serious thing and that's way bb was kind of the same kind of thing he goes look at me and said watch your money scotty watch your money like that so he was really uh had a lot of conviction because i guess he wanted to really get that through to me that you know don't be stupid with your money you know in your career which i you know always do but i'm, I'm okay now but i've had times where i just you know just would spend 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 i want this toy i want this tool you know when you start making money so anyway he was he was just he was, he was so cool man just what what a special line i would only imagine yeah, you did a CD called "Walking Through the Fire" in 2012, and you partnered up with uh, a local Charles Tuberville to do some writing yeah. and playing. Yeah, my brother Charles. Yeah, we uh, got together, and um, I just you know I was writing with him and Walt at the same time, and so what I did, and those guys worked together a lot. So I was going, you know what, I'm going to take the best of. Um, my favorites from Walt, my favorites from Charles and just, and, and, and do it that way. So it has like Walt uh, on one side, Charles on the other. So they both produced it. So it was kind of a, it was a real good team effort. And then we did, uh, I think, yeah, elevator man was the next one we did. Yeah. Talk so, about that record just a little bit. Yeah, that was fun. And I'll tell you, elevator man, you know, walking through the fire was kind of my first one in five years. And I was kind of like, there's probably too many songs on there, but I just, uh, I had all this, uh, drive, which I always do, but I just had a, you know, biting at the bit to get a record out. And I like, screw it. I'm going to put all 15 of these tunes on here. It's probably too many, but what the hell? So anyway, uh, it did chart. It didn't do that great. Uh, is it my other ones have, but, uh, that was my, uh, that there's a tune called, yeah, there's a tune out there called, uh, uh, Shake it with the blues. It's on that Victoria Secret thing I was talking about, and uh, but that was a fun record to make. We got to learn, you know, the three of us got real good at putting songs together as a team, and then just kind of went on it. Elevator Man and Elevator Man was special because Walt said, you know, we need to make. I need to produce a record. We need to write. We need to produce this record, um, a straight blues album. You need a straight ahead blues record right now. It'd be the best thing for your career. He was right. So it did, it did real well. It made it. I've, it went up to 20, like 23, 20, 23 on the top twenty-five blues albums and uh, blues charts, and um, it got me really kind of going again as far as 
in the blues world. That's just straight ahead record. And then, you know, good morning, midnight came out after that, which I produced and it, uh, just kind of carried through that. I had, it, but yeah, that, that current, the elevator man was really kind of the thing that got me rolling. And then we got a tune off that. There's a song that, uh, Charles and Walt and I wrote called, uh, holler for help and it's on that record and it's also there's a video on that charles produced um, so you can see that on youtube um, they got a company called brt tv or something and it's um uh it's called holler for help it's and it's the first song on the album it's kind of interesting it's kind of cool it's real but this real real blues album real kind of you know, chess records, kind of mixture of a little Kale Clapton chess records. It's, you know, it just has a real nice blue stamp. You know, Markham is um, on it a lot. Markham's playing some harp on it. So it's cool, man. Had a lot of fun. And then um, the one after that, you mentioned Good Morning Midnight. I mean, I've, I've, I've got it pulled up here, and I'm looking at, you know, who's all on this CD. I mean, it, you pretty much got the roster of Tulsa musicians on that. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. I got, uh, um, yeah, uh, Jamie's on there. I got uh, Chuck Blackwell's last track he played on is the first track, Sanctified. That's the last uh, record he played on was Sanctified. So he uh, he sounds great. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of an all-star. It's like uh, got all my uh, buddies and just had fun, man. Got all the, you know, kind of, a, you know, the good thing about Tulsa, the great thing about Tulsa, I should say, is like you can um, – it's almost like casting for a movie when you're doing a song. Everything's so interchangeable. You might like everybody plays everything. All the great guys can play everything. So you might say, or be really have a special, uh, special thing on certain styles. And so, uh, you know, that's what I kind of did on that record. I could, these guys will be good for this. Like Brian Lee played some real cool stuff on uh, good morning, midnight. I think the title track and, you know, T gardens on it and, Jamie and Chuck and Gary Kelbor from Taj Mahal, and, you know. So it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of a Scott Ellison and his all star friends, really. <laughs> no. A good morning, midnight. Yeah, yeah. So you got fun. Marcy Levy on there from Clapton's group and and that. Yeah, gosh, she's so good. She's great. Yeah, we were supposed to do a show together at uh, for that Markham. Uh, I was put on the Markham tribute and. Um, before COVID hit and that just kind of corral that corral that deal tattooed that deal but I had a band all set for her and everything but we'll hopefully get to do it get up the road but yeah she's she's one of my favorites and I love Marcy. yeah she's a great singer and worked with Jamie and she's even a part of that back in 72 LP from uh, Bob Seeger. right exactly and uh, then of course Brad Absher's on there Right, got Bradley on there. He's uh, got him on. Uh, I did a tribute to, on that tribute to Steve Pryor record. We uh, uh, thing at Kane's we did Last Breath, and uh, and so I brought Brad in uh, after we cut that. I said, you know what, man, I'm going to dedicate this album to Steve, and we're going to go cut Last Breath because we already know it real well anyway. Rehearsed it, we did it for the show, so we went right from there the next day into the studio because I was fresh and cut that trash. Right, and uh, so that was cool. That that was that was a lot of fun. That session was great. Just uh, another little side note here, real quickly. Let's talk about Steve Pryor just a little bit. Absolutely. What was it about Steve that stuck out to you? Well, I'll tell you a lot of things. You know, he's a force of nature to begin with, like I am. We're both high strung, and and we both came up 
through the clubs together. He's a year younger than I am, but he was really uh, the whiz kid. He, he just passed us all about 22. He was always great, but about 22, 23, bang. He just, it was like, he went to another planet and ability and um, it was amazing. And then I, we played some shows actually together, uh, Dick and Jamie and Pryor and I played at the late, uh, the Boston Avenue market. I say the late Boston Avenue market. Uh, anyway, we played there and that was, that was a fun deal. Uh, Bill wasn't feeling that good that week. He wasn't feeling good. So we had to do a gig with his book. So I just snatched prior up and we did, uh, this is 1981, 80, no, this is 80, 83. Actually, this is probably about six months before I left Bill got, I think Bill wasn't feeling good. And, so I, I grabbed prior we and he said, for, you know, Bill, but we just ended up having fun. And, and uh, it, it was really, that was a special moment because all those guys are gone now, you know, and, uh, but that was fun. But he, you know, Steve was uh, just, uh, you know, he just uh, had, a, had a facility, he had a very special gift that uh, he just got, um, had his own thing of playing guitar like nobody else. And, and uh, you know, he, uh, was a great guy too it just you know it's just so sad with all the uh things that happen to people sometimes you know personal stuff that gets in the way and everything but he was probably one of the most gifted players I've ever seen it's just too bad he was i don't think uh if he would have had uh, my my take on it, if he just would have had better you know had handlers that, that, that he's one of those guys that you know could go off in the deep end and you know and not and, and that's you know a lot of us did that back in the day, but you know, uh, it's too bad. You know, it's too bad. He had, he had, he had a lot more music to give. It's just, uh, his personal life got in the way and that happens, you know, that happens sometimes and tragic things happen. And, you know, it's tragic. That motor, motorcycle thing was, was a nightmare. And, um, you know, he left it, he left his mark, you know, people love his playing and, and, uh, as I do too, and I dedicated that, uh, he's a real good friend and, and, good musician friend good guitar buddy and that's why i wanted to dedicate that good morning midnight to him you know and uh, that was my favorite song in fact what's so what's so funny about that is that last breath was on his la album he did and was the last track on the record which i that was my favorite song now he had other ones that were great on there too but that that hit me that hit me more in my style of playing so but anyway yeah i, I miss him real bad man I, it's like it's not the same without him around it's definitely a void for sure Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that stands out to me about Steve is, you know, when he was uh, saying, uh, man, there's a bunch of that stuff that, you know, you couldn't understand what he was singing, but you just fell in love with it. Right. Right. It's just the delivery. You know, it's like uh, you just had that delivery. You just like it immediately. It's kind of like you hear that voice, you either like it or you don't. He was, and he was one of the ones you like. So that was cool. That was a cool thing. Yeah, man, I miss that. Let's talk about your your latest record for uh, a little bit here. Your newest album came out what about a month ago now? Came out May eighth. Oh, okay, a couple months so, ago. Yeah, so it's it's doing real well. It's charting. It's on. Uh, Got a call yesterday. It's on the uh, uh, radio music report, uh, roots music report, whatever. It's on. It's it's getting charted and uh, getting a lot of plays really doing well in the UK and it's probably doing better than anything I've done 
so knock on wood, it keeps going. You know, I got a good guy uh, <clears throat> promoting it in uh, L.A. and he's real good at it for the blues thing. So we'll just we should see here. But I'm it's doing real well. That's the thing. I and that's another thing. It's kind of a twofold thing. I, I'm I'm going. God, I wish I could go play it. But on the other hand, it's one of those deals where the thing I'm doing right now. Michael Price is the biggest thing I've ever done in music is because of his level, all the hits he's written. Uh, they're kind of wanting to the next record to keep me, you know, of course it's going to be a blues record too, but we're going to go a little more AC adult contemporary, try to get, you know, try to get into that, uh, that BBC radio level thing, you know, where, you know, you could sell more records and still, I mean, not, you know, pound the blues, just like I always have, but just like, you know, there's some pop or poppy tunes on there that, that still fit in the blues, have slide on it, but they could kind of fit into that. You know, the John Hyatt, there's a good example. It right. could fit an adult contemporary thing that could garner you more sales and get more airplay. Like I say, that BBC2 is a big format. So, you know, that's kind of what we're pushing for. Just try to step things up. I'm really proud of um, Skyline Drive, the way it's doing. It's just that's close to my heart, that record is, so really happy with it and and uh, so the new one's going to be completely different like i say you know I, I, it probably won't come out for a couple more years and uh, we'll see what happens but it's at the right it's almost finished as far as the writing the album so progress is being made this COVID 19 is like it's a nightmare for all of us but i tell you without sounding insane uh it's actually in one respect uh been I wouldn't have had this opportunity that I have now. It's it's just, it's nuts. It's like, well, the world's going to be shut off, Logan. Guess what? They're going to flip the switch and the world is off axis. It's shut off. You can't do anything. But guess what? You're going to get the phone call of your life during during this uh, quarantine period. And then that's, that's exactly what happened. And so I've been working, you know, I mean, there's, it, you know, I, of course I had my... <laughs> Had my moments uh, dealing with like everybody else, and then I started rehearsing the band every Monday night, real hard to keep everybody to keep us all in shape because it's real easy to get complacent. I mean, that's just, that's the thing that scared me more than anything a little bit about um, about this COVID nineteen. I mean, besides the virus itself is so contagious and being being very careful and safe, but you know, just like you're used to doing this thing. Uh, and this is everybody. Sometimes I probably personalize it too much because everybody, you know, has their own thoughts. But this for me, I'm going, man, I got everything going. Everything's popping and I can't go do this. But like I said, on the other end, it's probably a blessing for me that I couldn't do that. Not COVID's a blessing. It's just a blessing. I I uh, got this opportunity, you know, so it wouldn't have happened if I would have been on the road. So it's like it's apples and oranges. And, you know, uh, but this is it's a pretty sweet deal. It's a pretty sweet situation because these guys, everything's happening so much faster, you know? So it's a cool deal, man. It's, it's, I'm learning a lot too. Believe me, these guys are so good. And, uh, it's a different thing in the Tulsa thing. It's like apples and oranges. I mean, they do what they do real well. And, uh, they, uh, Michael and I are really writing hard and writing songs. And he's, since he's written hits, I'm learning a lot about melody from him and learning a lot about, um, new construction so it's going to be kind of a new 
I'm going to be playing a lot more slide Logan on, on this one. So it's going to be kind of uh, it's going to be a different atmosphere. It'll be Scott Elson, but this, you know, I think I'm playing slide as of now in the demos. I think I'm playing on probably 80% of it. Oh, wow. Slide, slide and different tunings and everything. And Michael loves it. So if he says, oh, if you want to put slide on that, that's fine with me. <laughs> so it's working out great. It's working out great. I'm real excited. Writing a new record. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm nose deep. I'm, I'm deep into Skyline Drive. And then the other part of the day spent uh, working on these songs for the next record. And I, like I say, that me, it's almost like the possibility of me doing that was probably like me trying to find Jimmy Hoffa's barrel. Sorry. That's probably the chances of it happening. Right. But it's, it's been, <laughs> it's been great. So I'm not complaining. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good record. I've listened to it on the the computer a little bit, and I I like what I hear. Well, thank you so much, Scott. How can folks support you as a musician? Well, I say what can you, they you, buy you your CDs and all that kind of stuff? I'd say the best thing they can do is uh, who's ever listening. It's an online world now, as you know, um, and the, the way I mean that in this context is like you know with COVID, you can't really everything's shut down. There's no gigs going on. It's to do online things or whatever. You can't go see anybody play. So, uh, what would really help me in the business of music, make my music better. If the business is going great, then which it is, but it could, you know, it's always improvement. Uh, if you could call and order that CD on Amazon, I would be in very grateful if you get people to uh, call in. Cause you really, you got it. It's becoming such an online and, and I'm a late bloomer to this. Everybody is like, it's an online world, uh, you know, completely now as of now, it's, it was going that way anyway, but with COVID-19, uh, it's completely online world, you know, henceforth ordering groceries online, you know, to be the, or whatever, ordering, you know, anything. And so that could really help me. A lot of people get on Amazon, Dot com and order Scott Ellison's record and also write a review. That's a big thing that really would help me. Uh, so there you go. And I appreciate you, Logan, uh, so much on uh, giving me a platform for this. Really appreciate it. Well, Scott, you don't you don't really do a whole lot of these things, do you? What a lot of interviews? Exactly. Uh, not as many really as I want to. I've done for this record. I've done quite a few, but I really like it. It's fun. I, I enjoy it. I've done quite a few for this uh, Skyline Drive thing. It's kind of I'm, I'm really enjoying it, actually. Well, the last thing I always do in these interviews, Scott, is I leave a little platform uh, in here for the artist to talk about whatever's on their mind. You know, if it's if it's you know like advice for you know younger musicians, uh, if it's if it's something that's happened to them recently that's worth sharing, it's just kind of, you know, whatever, whatever you want to uh, talk about. Yo, I'd love to, for the younger guys. I mean, I've got a lot of younger kids that are really uh, dear to me, man, and, and really talented, you know. Um, and I, all I can say, you know, I can tell them from experience. I mean, I, this thing that's going on now is it's so bizarre that I don't, I really don't know what, we, none of us know what's going to happen, but, the thing is, man, is like all I can tell you guys, the younger guys out there is just you got to just write your tunes, play your songs, with, get get the right tribe together, get the right set of guys that you're happy with, and you all work together, try to get along. I know it's gonna, you know, it's easier said than done, but just try to get the right chemistry with the guys that are wanted have the same goal. Write your own music, 
work your butts off, get it down, learn your craft, go play, 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 play. Now, of course, that's easier said than done right now. You can't go play anywhere. Uh, if you, you know, I mean, you can, but it's not really, it's not really advisable to go out and play right now, but because this virus, but just learn your craft, man. And, and the only way that you got a chance of anything happening is to be seen playing your own music. And in order to do that correctly, you got to do it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Now it's a different business, of course. Now that it was when when I was coming up. Now the new model, which is really kind of the new model, is kind of whatever you do with your musical life, the way you want to do it. That's the new model. There's no, you know. So, you know, it's just getting seen, and and I can't say enough. Right, just try to write the best songs you can and be realistic and. Uh, you know, be tough and uh, get after it, and you guys can do it. I mean, I figure that, you know, I've worked so hard at this, and if you work hard enough, I really believe it'll happen for you. You know, you just got to be realistic and, and uh, take care of yourself. I wasted a lot of times, a lot of time in my 20s being stupid, you know, just partying and, and being an idiot, and I didn't get, I got a late start. I'm a late bloomer uh, even now. I mean, I'm still getting better at 66. I mean, and what I mean late bloomer is, uh, you know, you just, I started being a solo artist at 34 and, um, you know, you really want to start that in your twenties. So that's what I'm saying. I, I would have, if I wouldn't have thrown a lot of years away being stupid. So that's my biggest advice is take care of yourself and be realistic. And, you know, it, you can't be, you can't be a drunk and on drugs and play music and go after the music business. I can have, you got to pick one or the other. If you want to do drugs and drink, it ain't going to work. So, you know, if you want to do it seriously, you got to, you know, do your thing. And um, that's that's good advice. I mean, I, you know, made a lot of mistakes. I just want to save you guys from making a lot of mistakes I made. But just be realistic and take care of yourself. That's the main thing. Because if you don't have your health and can't, don't feel good when you play, it's not even, if you don't feel good playing music, then then it's, it's all a waste anyway. You got to have, you got to feel good when you play music. You want to feel good. That's my best advice, my brother. All right, Scott, I like it. And uh, it, it's been a pleasure, Scott, to speak with you this morning and to have you on my show. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too, man. Well, there you have it. There's my interview with Scott Ellison. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned because yours truly is working on more artists more podcasts for your listening pleasure this is logan and signing off with another episode of lv's music corner until next time